everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I am not writing about or talking about being outside and playing outside, I am hopefully outside and playing. And I am Peter Glassford. I am a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at all different types of movements and sports and the people that do them and study them and coach them. And we're here today with a bit of a Q&A. We're answering your questions today mostly about cyclocross it is the season i feel like every week i make fun of your intro but i never volunteer to do the what is the consummate athlete intro mainly because i would end with like the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter whose line is it anyway style so we'd never get anything accomplished i suppose but anyway cyclocross is here which is the happiest day of my life Um, You might have gotten your start in mountain biking when it came to getting onto bikes, but for me, cyclocross was the thing that made me fall in love with biking and really kind of drew me into the community. It's where I made all of my best friends. It's, you know, really the sport that kind of put me, you know, I'll say on the map as a cycling author and journalist. It's, yeah, just where I got my start in the world and I love it so very much. And you wrote uh, a book about the history of North American cyclocross. Yes, that's right. My first ever book was Mud, Snow, and Cyclocross back in 2012. Uh, It came out just before we had world championships in 2013 down in Louisville, Kentucky. And Uh, people could look that up on Amazon. mm -hmm. Yep, it's still available. You you make no money from that sale. I do not, so please. This is not sponsored, but check it out. It's a good read. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me to look back on it because I mean as a lot of you who follow cyclocross know a lot of the pro racers that I interviewed in it are you know retired from the sport and just aren't racing anymore I think actually as of this year Katie Compton is the only racer profiled to still be racing and also has not broken her national championship winning streak since I wrote that book seven years ago which is pretty impressive. Impressive lady, for Mm -hmm. sure. But also in that book, I talk about some of the most iconic races in the U.S. scene at the time, and it's a little, you know, if you followed cyclocross closely or have been a fan for a while, it's a little bittersweet to read about some of the old favorites. I mean, this year, Gloucester GP is no longer a race, and it's, you know, really feels like the end of a bit of an era to have that race go away. Mm Mm-hmm. It is. It was a gr- really good one, actually. Mm-hmm. And, actually. And there's a few, right? Like, it's largely yeah. around uh, the points. And these, these are more of the, like, I would say, professional or, or bigger time races in the in the North America. Uh, but Although, there's, a, there's a lot of races. Like, I think cyclocross in general is, is doing better as there's a lot of weekly, at least in Canada, we're getting this, like, there's a lot of weekly mm-hmm. series and practices and clubs are really into it. And I think relating to you... Uh, getting going with cyclocross there's certainly like it is a good sport a good discipline to start cycling like if someone was just brand new to the sport it would be the one i would tell them to do because it's very supportive i always say you're only you know 100 meters i don't know what that is in feet but you're only 100 meters from your car yeah absolutely Um, The only thing about cyclocross that's a little bit interesting that I didn't really think about too much until we were coaching a clinic in Peterborough this weekend is it's actually one of the only disciplines, I guess, barring track, uh, that is only a race. You don't really, like... yeah do cyclocross because i asked everyone we were doing starts and i was like well maybe not everyone cares about starts so much but it's important because we all have to get started at lights and so on 
Um, but then there was, well, it was making fun of me because it's cyclocross. And of course people, and I tried to make the argument that I am a recreational cyclocross rider. You can't be a recreational cyclocross rider if you've raced races on multiple continents at this point. No, I feel like me, Jeremy Powers, we're just recreational cyclocross riders. We're just going to drop a bunch of Jeremy stuff in in hopes that he listens to this at some point. I mean, I bet you he'd agree with that. Sure, sure. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting one because if you are getting into racing, then cyclocross is really fantastic. And I guess the kind of counter to that is now gravel riding is sort of the, if you race cyclocross in the fall, gravel riding is sort of what you do in the spring, summer, whether that's racing or whether that's just going out on your cross bike and, you know, hunting down some good gravel trails. So I guess in that way, cyclocross has finally developed a bit of a recreational arm. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's probably the people who were early in, in not doing road or mountain bike um, throughout the, the summer, probably it's not that far off of what they might have done. I think now it's the challenges you can race year round, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we just did a clinic down in Peterborough. We have a couple more coming up. You can find them over on smartathlete.ca. Yeah, we'll link to maybe some couple pages and stuff too, just to help people get there. Yeah, and I mean, we I'm not going to say we have a ton of free time left in the fall, but if you or someone you know would like a clinic, definitely get in touch with us. We'll see what yeah. we can do. I always call them small group sessions, right? Mm-hmm. If you've got a group of friends or a club, um, you know, the one we did was Peterborough Cycling Club, uh, sort of out east of Toronto. Uh, had us over which was really nice and so they already had the club and the area and we just sort of dropped in and tried to help everyone out with some skills and some ideas for things they could practice right and so that was great so if you do have a small group it could be friends it could be an organized club Mm -hmm. we'd love to come we have gone into the states and down uh to different areas we were down in virginia and we've done obviously new jersey and stuff like that so yeah drop us a line uh what else uh, well, actually, on the topic of events that we're doing, we just launched the sign-up page for the women's gravel training camp that we're running in Girona, Spain in early March of 2020. I know it sounds kind of far out, like March 2020. That's not even a real date. Uh, well, technically, that isn't a real date. It's March 6th through 13th. But uh, it's going to be an awesome week with some rad women hitting some amazing gravel trails and roads. And it's one of my favorite places on earth. I've been there for the last few years and just love exploring it. So if you're kind of thinking, okay, I want to get into this gravel racing stuff, I kind of want a bit more of a serious training environment and, you know, maybe even a little bit more on the learning how to train efficiently side of things but also with some cafes and some cool restaurants and stuff like that then yeah i would think you know that's sort of the we're trying to put a bit more of a a coaching sort of training element you learn a little bit here but we also just ride and you know certainly get onto some gravel so if you're newer to gravel or trying to train for gravel especially if you're in canadian winter obviously this is hopefully timed well that you sort of get that midwinter exposure to it Uh, And then also, like I say, sort of learn a bit about interval training, you know, maybe setting zones or whatever questions you have in that respect. But then also, of course, we'll we'll get some wine, we'll get some some cafe stops and so forth. Right. So I eat a lot of croissants in Girona. Right. Molly will be coaching on the cafe stops. Competitive croissant eating. It's sort of like that donut race we talked about in the last Q&A. Well, maybe it's like a quality over quantity yeah, type thing. Yeah, with that, probably, maybe. probably yeah. a better way. So of we'll it. link to that. That's we don't want to belabor that, but uh, that is current yeah. events, I guess. Yeah. So 
Want to dive into this Q&A? Yeah, I think so. Maybe just even before we, we didn't really talk for any listeners that haven't done cyclocross. You know, this is sort of, you're taking a road bike with the drop handlebars. You're going to like a local park. You maybe have some knobbier tires on and you run around that park. So you, you're going to ride, you're going to have to jump off and run up a hill. It might be muddy. It's a really nice fall sport. It's pretty big in Europe. Uh, would you add anything to that rough definition? I feel like that's an excellent rough great, definition. Great. And we've had Katarina Nash on talking about cyclocross who else will be on uh, oh, we ellen had noble ellen noble we had bill uh bill. from cx hairs uh who's also uh with the wide angle podium network so he has a, a great podcast mostly about cyclocross uh, and also does a bunch of videos for cyclocross so that's cxhairs.com uh, but definitely bill was on we had a bit of debates about things in cyclocross uh whether you should run for cyclocross is always the question uh, so we debated a bit of going back, but Bill's very knowledgeable with that, and he's on the ground. So uh, He's actually on the ground at the upcoming World, Cup, the World Cup in Cups. Waterloo. Yeah. Uh, so I will also be at the World Cup at the Trek Factory, Trek Headquarters, uh, in Waterloo, Wisconsin next weekend. So we'll be there doing a bunch of recordings. Uh, if there's any racers that you know are going to be racing the World Cup that you're interested in talking to and, you know, maybe getting to answer even one of the questions that we discussed today, like if you want to hear how Katarina Nash warms up for right. a race, um, or you really want to know, you know, what Ellen Noble eats for breakfast, or I'm now just naming people we've already had on, or how Magalie Rochette won the last World Cup, the first one of the season, yep. in an amazing race in Iowa last Magalie's weekend. Magalie's definitely on our list, so yeah, love to get, maybe we could do it like a French episode. Ah, oui. Yes. Um, it will not be good on my end, I apologize if I ever well, try well, maybe, to Well, maybe she could just transcribe a bit or something, and that would, yeah, that would help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're there, look up Molly. You can reach out to her uh, on Twitter or, or how, however else you follow Molly on the social media. Uh, so that's the Trek World Cup. People, I guess the first question we could do, we've both gotten asked a few times, how do you watch these cyclocross races and, and even older races? Oh, yeah. So I would say we said cxhairs.com. It's mm-hmm. a good place. Mm-hmm. A lot of summaries and race highlights that Bill does. Yep. Um, I also do a fair number, a fair bit of reporting for Flow Bikes. And right now they actually are the ones that have the broadcast rights for the Canadian viewing for the World Cups this season. So okay. if you're in Canada and you want to watch them, um, Flow Bikes, it's pretty inexpensive. You get a ton of other stuff in addition to just cyclocross content. And you can go back. Content. Can you watch last year's? Yep. And you were doing some like uh, weekly update, like yeah. something like that, right? So you can watch Molly do some talk show-esque stuff about cyclocross. That's, so that's flowbikes.com. Mm-hmm. And then free is the UCI YouTube. So UCI, you type that into your YouTube. Okay, here's where we're going to get a little sketchy, though. It's actually not available in the U.S. Okay. Um, actually, so some of them are. Uh, some people. of them are broadcast on NBC Sports and their cycling package. So okay. you do have to look that up. Um, it, yeah, but yeah, the UCI channel broadcasts it for some countries for so, some so countries. that you, you may hit a, a wall there trying to do that and then for the uh, u.s folks that you're going to look at nbc uh yeah nbc is there another sports. way maybe if you're like an internet savvy person there's like a way you could pretend you were in another country or something yeah that'd be great if you could do that right i've never heard of how to but okay. uh uh anyway any other ways you can watch cyclocross i mean really just youtubing like what would you youtube i would youtube like Svenness was Svenness on YouTube? I think that was something Bill did. But uh, yeah, if you look up any like Svenice or the the World Championship cyclocross type thing, even uh, if you're not overly invested in pro racing, it's worth watching a few just 
honestly, because it's the most entertaining type of cycling, I think that you can watch on on TV. And also just because it's it's a really good way of kind of seeing what the heck the sport is about. So if listening to Peter's explanation of what cyclocross is did not do it for you, just look up a couple of videos and uh, look up cyclocross fails fails as well, because it's pretty hilarious a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people crashing into wood boards that are just randomly across a grassy field and, and so forth. Uh, so that's good. So that's one question. What's what's another question about cyclocross? Best warm up for a forty five minute race. So that's important. Cyclocross is also short. We didn't talk about that. So the other nice thing about watching and racing, especially in the fall when it's probably snowing or raining or something, is it's a short discipline, very intense. Uh, so you start as hard as you can. And you just try and hold on for dear life while jumping on and off your bike and cornering on slippery surfaces. Uh, so you got to warm up. So what does that look like? Well, if you're a super pro, you have a uh, nice little tent that's been walled off for you, maybe even has a heater blasting, and you have your smart trainer plugged in to give you the exact workout that you need to do to get dialed in for your race. Why don't we do, I, I always find that like, I start rambling on, so why don't we start with that? Let's start at the like, you're, you're well supported, you have a lot of resources at hand. This could be like you're a contractor and you just happen to have an enclosed trailer or you, you are part of a team or club. So you have a tent. So you're going to get to the venue early, right? And then usually there's like a pre-ride window. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people in this scenario would take one of their bikes out. They'd maybe be wearing like some rain pants if it was wet. Um, you know, just to try and stay dry and cold. They'll survey the course. So not too much intensity, just surveying the course. Maybe one section, they go a little faster, but nothing. They just keep it cool. That's between the races. And they're going to come back in, get their bike cleaned up. They might have a mechanic helping them. Um, get into like dry clothes and then... In some situations, there'd be like another pre-ride window you could go out for, but let's assume there isn't. And then you're going to get into sort of your, your kit and you're going to ride a, like a trainer, like an indoor trainer rollers to do like a specific warm up That's probably say 15 to 30 minutes. You're going to do some intensity in there, maybe simulate a start type effort. I tend to use sort of like three to five by 45 to 60 seconds. Um, and I always just think you got to get sweating. You got to get activated. And you just want to feel that that start effort because the first one always feels a little grumpy. So you want to get that out of the way. So that's like the peak. Now, if you're me and you don't have that, show up at the race. I was going to say, like, now give us the, like, rough and tumble. And this is generally assuming the weather's not good. When the weather's better, then it's a little more flexible. You could go ride a lap, you know, pre-ride, maybe do some intensity on the course, you know, go ride around warm up a bit as the race starts approaching, go to the line and start, right? Like that's a nice, you know, pretty flexible thing. If the weather was poor and you were like, maybe you have your trainer at your car, a lot of people have this set up, um, then you would just sort of do the same thing, I guess you could go. But if you, you don't have a lot of like means to f- clean your bike and fix your bike, I think you got to be careful with the pre-ride. Um, so you might have like a B bike that you could ride, on the pre-ride and then even if it doesn't get clean you could put it in the pits you're allowed to switch your bikes and cycle cross which is an interesting thing as well so that b bike you might pre-ride maybe you can spray it off a bit maybe not put it in the pits and then you have your a bike that you can like warm up on the road or the driveway or the trainer similar type of warm-up get to the line try and stay warm coats are on throw your coat off before the start um what else have i done well i was going to actually ask on the counter side to all of that what is like I know it depends from person to person, but what point do we start tipping into like, you've done too much, don't right. do this much? Because I think a lot of people tend to, I'm actually going to say over warm up for cyclocross. 
Yeah, and it depends a lot. Like, I think a lot of people, like, they, they haven't ridden. This gets, this will be a common answer throughout today, I think, too, is you got to ride cyclocross, you got to ride off road, you got to ride that bike, you got to do some intensity. You know, a lot of the questions are answered by, like, have you been riding off road, you know, riding the way you intend to? So people get to the race and they want to ride the course a lot because they're nervous about the features. Um, so your warm up, you know, your preparation in the weeks and months ahead, hopefully includes that. And if not, then that's your homework. Um, but definitely like when it gets out to those like two and three hours, you're sort of like heart rates up over, you know, a hundred beats and you're riding the course and then riding around and riding the course and riding around. I think a lot of people end up at that start line, like pretty depleted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you gotta be careful. You definitely have to be careful. Um, and the course often changes and stuff too. So I've gone to a bunch of races where, I've just sort of walked around the outside of the course, cheered people on, took a look at the lines and then warmed up on the road and then started. Sure. Or maybe while you're walking around, you're like, oh, there's like one sketchy shoot. And so I can like warm up on the road, but then like walk my bike maybe over. And then when the course is open, you can like ride the one shoot, get off the course, you know, quickly clean your bike with like a rag because it didn't get super muddy back onto the road right right so it's an odd like balance of like being ready for the start you know warmed up being not fatigued from the day fueling throughout that you know it's a little different than like a mountain bike race or something where you have this long period you're on your feet maybe you're chasing you have kids racing or something right so you got to be fueling throughout that but then also just managing equipment managing energy mm-hmm. so hopefully that you sort of have that base warm-up that you're always going to ideally have like close to the race with some intensity and then you're going to have this pre-riding challenge that you have to fit into the morning or the day before or you know you just sort of chunk those pieces together as best you can yeah and i will say my my add-on and someone joked at the clinic we just did that i mentioned this every time we're talking about cycling kind of in a day like a full day basis i'm gonna say if you pre-ride in the morning especially if it's wet please change your kit right. before like between stuff yeah please don't you know don't start your day at 9 a.m get your kit soaking wet and then hang out in that chamois until your race at four and that's what i mean it's such an equipment thing right so you might have to you know maybe you're in rain pants and like your old kit or something and no one can see it because it's like under a rain suit and then that stuff goes into like a garbage bag um, yeah, exactly. or a bucket that you're gonna just keep it rinsing in because it's really muddy and then you like put on your good kit warm up on a trainer or on the road you know wearing a coat and stuff tear that stuff off at the line you look really good on the line you you start and then you're instantly muddy but you're racing right um and it's important because any a lot of people you know they're doing we have questions about racing twice in a weekend and then everyone's racing like every weekend through the fall all this equipment the stuff adds up right laundry bike maintenance and then also if you're going to develop a saddle sore from riding essentially you're on your bike in your chamois four or five six hours at a cyclocross race and frankly, I will say of all of the sports, cyclocross is the hardest on your stuff. Uh, I meant like I was talking to other regions, but it's right. hardest on everything, yeah. um, especially cyclocross as the season gets on and it is cold and muddy and wet and stuff like, you know, especially when you start factoring in, you know, remounts and no matter how, sure. how gentle you try to be on them, there's still going to be some accidentally you hop a little too hard you catch something in the wrong way like it's just it's hard on your nether regions so please just just give them some tlc yeah 
Yeah, okay. I think and, a few. And Grant. So I think that's that's warm up. Let's move on because I think some of those same topics of equipment and energy maintenance and and stuff like this, especially as the season goes on, comes up. Yeah, so I think the second run we kind of touched on some of the stuff, but I want to talk about how to approach course previewing because a lot of people think that it's just like how many times can I ride around the course? Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about how do you look at stuff critically? Like when you're pre-riding, what are you looking for? What are certain, you know, what chunks of the course would you go back on? Mm -hmm. uh, what are you thinking about as you go? So again, at, at the peak, like an elite person would maybe be there early in the morning and try and get like two and three pre-ride windows in and then, you know, recover, change, do their warm up on trainer and then race. Yeah, I was going to say actually a few times when we worked with Aspire Racing, which is the team that had Jeremy Powers and Ellen Noble, if we stayed close enough to the venue, there were days where they would ride over in the morning. Right. Do do a lap and yeah. then ride back to the house for a couple more hours of just chill time. So, I mean, a lot of people's races are not going to afford them the time to do that. But right. if you can, that's awesome. Yeah. And then there's also the day before, potentially, um, you could do it. You know, and that might be a good argument some weeks to, you know, if you're going to pick, you know, there's often a, in cycle across again, we're sort of explaining the sport as we go. Saturday, Sunday races at the same venue is not uncommon. Um, so if you were getting late in the season, you know, we only have so much energy, so much time, so much money, maybe you don't race on the Saturday, but you can get in there to do some pre-riding Saturday, cheer on your friends. And then Sunday you can race and you don't really need to preview the course quite as much. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's one thing. And then I think my like walking around strategy, when we get there, usually you sort of take care of uh, registration, get your numbers, chat with people and you just sort of survey this thing. You don't have to w literally walk inside the tape. Obviously you're not going to go on the race course, but just see what, what's up with the course, right? Cyclocross is great because it's basically in a park. So you could walk beside the course probably for the full distance, if not most of it. And just get a sense for like, what, where does the course go? Yeah. So for me, I break the course. There's four things on the course that I'm looking at. The first is just, what does the start look like? Sure. Um, and that's, Critical. you know, that's going to be super, super important. Do I have a lot of road before it turns off into a single track? Do I not have a lot of road? Uh, you know, is it going to be really bumpy? Do I have to be a little nervous about that? So definitely check the start pen. And you and can a watch lot of, a start, right? Watch a start. Yeah. A lot of racers, especially newer ones, the start generally tends to feed into the course. So a lot of people won't even ride it because what they do is right, they hop not... on after the start because, you know, you're getting shooed onto the course post finish line. Because uh, usually a race is finishing up before you. So you get on the course, you haven't actually seen the start yet, but you're like, couple hundred meters down you do the lap and then you get kicked off the course uh right as you're kind of coming into the finish line turn so you never actually get to ride the start stretch so right. checking that out is super important other thing worth checking out now that i'm mentioning starts and finishes is where the finish is right is the finish line at the start line or is it farther up the road farther down like further back closer whatever um because i've actually seen a few races get lost because someone thought that the start arch was the finish finished there and got nipped by someone who realized that the actual finish arch was like a hundred meters up sure sure so that's the second thing third thing the obvious obstacles you know is there a terrifying shoot is there a giant sand pit where are the barriers on the course what are like the big obstacles that are going to be you know potentially problematic yeah and i mean you can look at a map if you're good with maps um in registration often they'll have sort of a this is a sand pit this is a barrier you can sort of make out where all that stuff is 
Um, and then I always just like talking to people. Some people get freaked out by talking to people, but I don't really trust what people say often, but I like to see what like people are talking about. Like, Oh, it was really slippery or, you know, watch it for turn two or the barriers are really high or right. So I was really fortunate at mountain bike provincials. Actually, Mark Brousseau, who's a athlete I coach, um, he actually had done a lot of pre-ride. So he actually gave me like an amazing, like turn by turn of the entire mountain bike course. And it was like really good actually. Uh, he really had it dialed. So if you can find someone like Mark, then you're in good hands, but. Yeah, and then the last thing I look at is the corners. I'm, corners are probably my biggest nemesis in cycling. Right. Um, so for me, actually really looking at corners and in a pre-ride, you really have to think about the corners, right? Because you're not riding as fast as you're gonna mm. be when you're racing. So it's real easy to steer your bike through the course without really thinking through how the corners are, but like actually take the time as you're slowly going around to look and think, how is this gonna be at speed? You know, what's the best setup for this? If I'm going fast, what's right. my plan? Um, so I think that gets ignored a lot of the time and then suddenly you're out on the course and you're going, you know, five times faster than you were in the pre-ride and you're like, oh, holy crap, this, like, I don't even remember this corner. Yeah, it's pretty wild at race speed. Um, and I think that's why I like to watch sort of the race and what it looks like and you sort of get a sense for lines then but then once you get on the course i always find that i'm able to sort of get up to speed when it matters and then if it's a straightaway then you don't necessarily need to go as hard so i sort of just build in those like little intervals into that lap it's so funny because i realized i just said gloucester isn't happening this year and as i'm thinking through pre-rides i'm actually thinking about it on the gloucester course because the start and the finish not near each other right start pretty hectic um couple corners on there are asphalt to uh to turf and i've seen probably a hundred crashes in the past like in 10 years of being at that race that have happened because someone took it way too hot then just did not know how to handle it because they hadn't really done it quickly right and you know i've seen people mess up the sand there there's usually either there was a beach now there's like a volleyball pit or there was um so the amount of people kind of screwing up the obstacles there really makes me think about uh yeah so so i think just being cautious with the the amount of riding you do i think thinking about just what sections need to be seen you know you can walk get you know step over the tape walk back and repeat a section versus riding the whole course uh to save some time especially if you only have 10 minutes as a pre-ride window or something Mm -hmm. um certainly adding some speed right and this is where it's like you only have so much energy in the day so deciding how you're going to spend that energy uh, is important if you can do the day before i think that's great if there's any videos on youtube which is more and more common even from the previous year right like there's often similarities just to get a sense of oh they always have this it looks like they have a sand pit right so now you're ready for the sand yeah and i mean that gives you a good sense of like what it's going to look like even just you know turf wise weather wise etc mm-hmm um, okay, next question, which kind of feeds into all of this, as they all do. Uh, what should I do in a skill session? I know I should be practicing remounts and dismounts, but what else is worth practicing? And I think this is a huge one because cyclocross, you always say, you know, skills are so important in cyclocross. Everyone needs to practice skills. We've all heard that a billion times if, if we've been racing for a while. But the one skill that people practice is remounting, dismounting, and barriers. And that's the only skill most people end up practicing sure Sure. i mean i think it's not even like you you just need to do the sport right so you know someone just was tweeting at me about 
oh, we don't have hills or something for mountain biking. And there was some article I wrote about sort of like a rough training plan to get better at mountain biking. And it had three-minute hills in it. And I was like, well, I mean, the three-minute hills aren't really that critical if like you're just racing in an area that's flat. Like it, it would be good to be able to climb hills, but if that's not your thing, that's not your thing. So the point is that like you're sort of practicing the thing. Like specificity does matter and we can do things that are not specific, but at some point it's like, have you done the thing? Right. 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 Dan John, my, I like often quote Dan John strength coach. He says uh, something to the effect of throwers, throw lifters, lift cyclocross or cyclocross. Right. Exactly. So all that to say, like I, I, my favorite thing, what I used to do set up around the house, set up in the local park, it would be literally, I, I would say if it took a minute to get around this whole course, I'd be surprised. So it didn't take a lot of setup, but I once had it set up, it was sort of burnt in a little bit. Um, and setup is like, again, people want to build stuff and have all this special, like beautiful looking stuff. Like if you have a bit of tape and a couple flags and just remind yourself of like, I go around this tree, like make it up as you go. Um, but between, you know, if you put some caution tape between two trees, like that's a barrier, right? You have it figured out. And, and so you just go around this one minute loop and you practice like five corners, you know, one dismount, one, you know, hill, if you want to do hill, um, you know, maybe there's a bit of sand, and you just incorporate that, right? And and whatever the skill is that you need to work on from the previous week, you know, you you make sure that's in there. If it's a left hand gravel corner, like put in that and do a hundred laps of your your one minute course, right? Or or however number of laps. Yeah, I mean, I've said it probably a billion times on this podcast already, but to me, corners in cyclocross are the best way to practice and improve. Like forget remounting forget dismounting you're probably only going to do that once or twice a lap how many times are you cornering in a lap probably a hundred yeah i mean and it's probably like a lowest hanging fruit right again if you got dropped in a corner then that's probably where this week's cyclocross practice should be spent right um if, if you're we had one gentleman at the clinic on the weekend and he, he's newer to cyclocross and sort of in the morning races and he's like oh everyone in my category just you know, you stops dead after the barriers and then like sort of gets on their bike like you would at a coffee shop or something. Right. Uh, but in cyclocross generally, like there's no stopping, like you just sort of set the bike down, you're running beside it and you hop on. And that's sort of like what intimidates and what Molly's talking about as far as landing on the saddle. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of finding that, you know, what is my weakest link? Stand by. If you can save one second for a corner, it's a minute and a half in one lap. It's a lot of time. Yeah, and you get a sense, right? Especially if you get in those pre-ride windows sometimes and you can sort of ride, you know, just for a second, just, you know, I'm going to just get in behind this pro or something and just realize just like, whoa. You've been dropped immediately. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and not that you need to keep up with them, right? But it gives you, I think, hope. And, and I have the same, we have a couple friends who are just amazing at, at uh, cornering and still make me embarrassed. And I, I'm actually pretty good at it, I think, but... Uh, we all have, there's always improvement, right? And then there's variability when then you're fatigued and there's all these levels of the skill, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I think all I say is just do the thing, right? And just so lo local park, grassy field nearby, use what you have and just get out there on that cyclocross bike and corner. Yeah, actually one woman who listens to the podcast that we met at the clinic this weekend says uh, when she's on call at her job, she does some of this practice she's in at the park. Home. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think she's at home so she can like do the backyard. Or yeah, something. yeah. 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 Um, and that's awesome. She can't get out on like a regular ride, but rather than, you know, consign, just being like, oh, well, trainer again, she's out practicing skills and it's really paid off. 
Yeah, and I was actually talking to a, another client who was in sort of a area that's flat, but then doesn't have mountain bike trails, so mountain biking. But he was like lamenting that he couldn't practice mountain biking. I'm like, well, I mean, a lot of these we'll call them foundational skills come from things like track stand. So your slow speed balance, you can practice that in a garage, basement, backyard, driveway. Um, you know, you can do skinnies. You can practice like if you have a, a two by four or something, you can practice your bunny hops. You can practice your wheel lifts. If you have two water bottles, you can practice cornering, you know, figure eights all day long. Um, you know, if you have a friend, it's even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to think as far as specific cyclocross drills, though. Is there anything? No, I think that one minute course is just a hundred percent the best option. Yeah, I'm trying to get like even just breakthroughs that people had. You know, I really with the mounts and sort of getting onto that saddle. I really like having people standing on a side hill, so you're standing above your bike on the side of a hill, uh, so like crosswise, perpendicular to the hill. Right. Uh, so you're not rolling down the hill. You're sort of mounted sideways on the hill. Uh, standing beside your bike so left side of the bike uphill side of the bike and you can like easily put your thigh onto the seat and then you can sort of like use your arms and sort of like roll just a little bit and you can use sort of like a slight downhill you can sort of let yourself use a little bit of gravity and feel that sort of rolling a bit on your your thigh your right thigh hands on the bars on the side hill and just keep like practicing that feeling from above the bike so your seat isn't effectively as high find if people will just do that three or four five times without riding away and pretending like they did it like sort of roll a tiny bit step off the bike roll a tiny bit step off the bike often that that helps um yeah i don't know i I think you're right i think you got a a lot of people if we just got out a couple times a week instead of like periodically once at the race or or just at the race right again i think this pre-ride window ends up being like the practice window right right and that's same as I always go on about mountain biking, right? Like that's not the time to learn. Yeah. Um, okay. If you've had a bad crash recently, what are some tips to get over that hump mentally? This is a super hard one. Like, I mean, even even a crash where you didn't end up hurt can really rattle you and make you, you know, super tentative. And in cyclocross especially, like it's hard when you're tentative. That means you're, you know, not going to be able to get up and over stuff as often. And honestly, a lot of the time it's going to be less less safe. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very tricky. Um, I think a couple, you could, you could, if you had a, a coach in the area who's sort of familiar with that stuff and letting, you know, probably someone who's used to working with older, um, cyclists and cyclists who are sort of learning is maybe going to be a little slower versus someone who's just used to working with kids who bounce back quicker and don't have fear, um, might be able to just sort of lead you through a progression and, you know, give you confidence. And cause a lot of it is like seeing, oh, I do know how to bunny hop. I've just like tried something that was a little bit of more risky and I screwed up, but I still know how to bunny hop. And then we sort of start with the stick on the grassy field and we keep progressing. If say you crashed on a barrier hop, which would be advanced and you're a tremendous athlete, but that would be something where we could start really safely, no distraction, no other people around, and then gradually get you back to doing that in a cyclocross race or something. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important to remember that there isn't like a timeline for coming back from something like this, right? Like there's no one set, oh, within a month, you should mentally be reconnected to training and feeling great about it. And I mean, that it's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to talk to someone like a sports psych and kind of work through some of this stuff. Because, you know, some people might bounce back the next day and be good to go. But, you know, for other people, you know, I'll admit, like, I've talked to some people who crashed once and, like, they stopped riding. So, you know, 
definitely, you know, talk to someone. Yeah, and it's sort of, it's like a risk thing, right? Like a risk management almost. Sometimes, you know, this isn't with older uh, cyclists. I don't want to say older adults. It sounds like we're all, you know, we're dealing with activities of daily living. Like these are people who are riding their bicycles. We're all strong, strong, capable people here. Um, but you know, you, you've done something that was risky in some way. You were riding in wet weather, loose terrain, tried a new skill, tried a new stunt or something. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of it is just gradually exposing uh, anyone who's familiar with sort of the concussion protocols that are out there. You know, you sort of get a concussion, you sort of get through a normal day as yourself symptom free and then we sort of progress you know maybe you ride the trainer for a little bit check in are you symptom free next day are you symptom free next day maybe you do like a spin on the road bike no vibration no other people you know riding with you or anything then maybe the next day it's like a a mature friend who's not going to like race you or anything and you sort of just ride like that and then maybe the next day it's a little bit more maybe you do a cycle cross in a gravel field but no major dismounts just sort of riding and a bit of cornering maybe all that to say, you're sort of stepping your way back into the sport, right? So I think if we use that same return to sport with any injury, even if it's just, you know, you're coming back and I want to get up to the where I was like really shredding corners. And now I just like, I had lost it on this corner last year. I almost bucked out my teeth on this like miscellaneous gravel, loose gravel. It wasn't, I had ridden downhill for a couple hours and then somehow on this like gravel. And I was still nervous on gravel for quite a while after, but I think what gets it then is eventually you just have to go and you find a gravel corner and you go slowly through it and then you go a little faster and then you practice maybe, you know, getting that foot out in the gravel corner and then you go a little faster and a little faster and you just practice it, right? It really gets back to, we have to ease ourselves back to practicing that thing. Yeah. And just don't let anyone tell you that you should be over something or that you should be okay or that you, you know, should be back to quote unquote normal like it's it's entirely you know your journey to sound a little cliche but i think that's super important because i think it's really easy for other people in our lives like super well-meaning people to do that get back up on the horse well and i'm talking you know not even necessarily serious stuff i guess too right but it could be something like a concussion where you definitely do have an, an aversion to something right or like a very serious sort of we had a friend of a friend who went down the downhill on the weekend here and broke seemed like everything in their body right so it would be normal to be a little adverse to even mountain biking then right i think i'd be adverse to like walking outside for a while if i was i do like what is that called like stress inoculation where you like hold the snake eventually you're scared of snakes and you look at a picture of snakes and then it's like a snake in a like aquarium okay peter you panicked when the people we stayed with this weekend had a snake yeah apparently there was a snake but see now great example now I'm like, okay, I've slept in the same house as a snake. Here's where I want to be like, good news, and just right? pull out a pet boa constrictor. <laughs> and then I would like hug it, right, eventually. So then maybe the next time they actually would show me, but i just like stay at the top of the stairs and like look at it. But then the next time, you know, I'm going to go down the stairs, look at it, go back up. So I lived, and then slowly you're like inoculating yourself with the stress. So again, I think that might be a thing where our friend in the downhill, severe injuries, you know, in the hospital maybe you know road you know gravel path very casual mountain biking cross country very you know easy with a friend who's like slower than them and just like won't be pushing them you know more technical cross country maybe downhilling but no jumps only easy trail downhilling slightly more technical no jumps you know and then eventually if racing downhill was the goal then maybe you eventually get into that right 
mm-hmm. but i think that's a lot of times we just try and go back to like racing and it's right, like right. oh i lost my edge i've lost my edge right yeah absolutely okay speaking of racing next question do you need a post-race cool down we've all been to the end of cyclocross races where you have like several options you have the dramatic matthew vanderpool flop on the ground couldn't possibly move ever again you have the uh dude bro crack beer the second they cross the line finish yeah uh you have the you know tough to deal with but your whole family is waiting for you at the finish line and now you're hugging them and they now are demanding your attention and you don't really know what to tell them um and you have the finish and you're chatting with everyone uh notice none of these things involve a cool down so do we need a cool down and why do we need a cool down i mean i think you're going to see people both in the scientific community and we'll call it the practical community um not the scientific isn't practical but the people who do the stuff, so are experts in the stuff, I guess. Um, you're going to see a whole range. Um, and they're probably all right. What do you do? I don't race cyclocross oh, wow. anymore. <laughs> well, when you do a, a run, what do you do? Okay, so that's different, though, because I do you know, six-hour races. So by okay. the time I well, cross Well, this is a finish, factor. Okay, so by the time I cross the finish line, I don't really need to overly cool down i usually actually try to keep walking for a bit though because i do find you know my legs will lock up if i don't so my my cyclocross opinion as far as cool down goes is especially if it's a hot race i think it's worth you know just pedaling around for even just a minute especially if you had a sprint into the finish and you're like really winded when you come across the line i think it's worth pedaling really casually for a minute and just letting your heart rate drop and come down to a reasonable uh, thing I think when it's really cold out you're actually also better to keep riding for like at least a minute just again let your heart rate come down I think if you really abruptly stop you end up with a little bit of like the cold air hurts your lungs you start kind of feeling much colder and much worse than right. you do if you kind of gradually ease it back down so I don't think you need to like spend 45 minutes on the trainer or anything like that but I think people could afford to spend a couple more minutes just very casually pedaling. Yeah, I think we see, I think you have great points there. The gradual, I think somewhat dependent on environment, somewhat dependent on how aroused you are as far as like, was it like you were just like fighting someone to the line and just like, you know, there was some conflict at the end. So is there like an emotional side to this? Um, heart rate was it a sprint or like did you just like fade the whole end and like have been cooling down for the last lap Uh, in the emotional one it really helps to ride away for two minutes because it will remind you that it's just a bike race and you don't need to punch that guy well and that's what i'm thinking so i'm thinking like if we could say okay do i need to cool down then if anything is rated as high I would say you probably need to cool down a little bit, right? And I don't think this needs to be the like pro like on the Instagram on their phone like cooling down on the rollers for like six hours after the the event because they won the race. Getting a little saucy there, Peter. Um, I don't know that there's good evidence for that, but those pros may be trying to tack on some endurance to the end of their race, and I think that's usually where the that maybe could be explained away. Um, I, I don't know. That's the the case for a lot of us who have to get home and go to work probably the next day or have kids organized into birthday parties. Right. So I think we got to think about that total energy requirements of the day. We have our 
oh, we already talked about the, all the things that happened beforehand. We got to get there. Kid gets dropped off at the birthday party, and then we're there, and then we're previewing the course. Peter says, I need to walk the course, and then I'm going to ride the course. Then I'm going to clean my bike. Then I'm going to warm up on my bike. Then I'm going to race my bike. Now I'm going to go on this extended cool down. But then I have to wash my bike and deal with all my laundry. So there's just, and... like, there's a time factor, possibly. There's also... Like if it's crummy weather, like no one's doing that. If you don't have a tent and those resources. So there's a lot of things that like probably answer the question for you. Like, do you have time for this? You know, is there weather wise? Does it make sense? I'm going to say if you can do two to five minutes of just pedaling after, yeah. that's going to be good. So like I said, I think my, my concise answer is like, if your fatigue is super high, like this has just been the hardest race of your life. You probably want to just like cool down if nothing else, just to like let heart rate come back down. Let your like, again, arousal for lack of a better term, you know, how excited you are, how angry you are, how happy you are. Just let everything stabilize a bit. And I think separating yourself again for that, like social and excitement sort of reason. Um, but then also just let your body just like come back to decent. And that as Molly said, like even when it's cold out, your body's so warm, probably. Uh, maybe not for some people but that it, you just want to like almost let it cool down to like where you're cold again but like not so fast that it's just like everything locks up so i think there's probably good evidence but like molly says it's probably spin around the venue the warm-up circle the whatever it is the park for 10 minutes super you know if you can talk to a friend i think that's like some of my fondest memories are that like you have that like runner's high type finish and then you're just like chatting with people and it's like, it's really, really cool to do that. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons to do a short one, but I don't think it has to be belabored. Yeah. You can even just spin 30 seconds away from like the finish line and then spin back like and keep chatting with everyone. Like it does not need to take away from the social element. Yeah. I, I, I wish more people would do the like, you know, thank you and like pat the people on the thing and then go and just like get set like some quiet like from away from the race for like five minutes, just decide how you're going to present yourself. Ooh, and I will say, um, if you are racing and your family is going to be there, tell them what you want at the end of the race, right? Because a lot of families are super excited to see you. You just came into the finish and all you really want to do is take, you know, two or three minutes to, yeah, let your heart rate come down, like digest what just happened. But your family is so excited for you. So I think it's really good to just like set the expectation of like, hey, if you're at the finish, that's amazing. I'm so happy you're going to be there. Thank you so much. I'll be back and I'll like circle back to you in like two minutes. Right. Just going to take me a sec. All these social things. We're just trying to pedal a bike. I know. I know. But this is. (laughs) No, you're right. You're 100% right. I'm just saying. I am 100% right because it almost broke us up in the first (laughs) couple of years of us dating. So. Right. Set those expectations. Um, all right. The last thing before we go, I just did an article over on my website, theoutdooredit.com, on my favorite cheap gear hacks for cyclocross. And I wanted to just talk about a couple of them because I sincerely believe that all of these like sub $20 things are just like game changers for how much more comfortable you're going to be during the cyclocross season. Do you, uh, want, do you want to just give a couple teasers or are you going to? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so the first one is my personal favorite. I've written about it in bicycling, but I come back to it every year and it's the gallon weed sprayer. Um, you fill it with water. You can fill it with soapy water if you want, but regular water is great. Warm water if you can. And like 
This little tiny powerhouse will clean your entire bike post-race so you're not stuck at the pit getting sprayed by a power washer. You know, someone accidentally sprays you instead of your bike. You're getting soaked and cold and miserable. This tiny little thing can be nice and warm and you can spray down your bike. You can spray down your legs. It fits in any tiny car, any tiny apartment. It is the best $15 you will ever spend. And those are at like TSC, which I think is North American wide. TSC, Home Depot. You can get them on Amazon. I have a link to our favorite one. It's like 1.5 gallons. It's $15. And there's a couple companies, like if you want to spend more, there's a couple companies that make like more turbocharged ones too, but... The little uh, one works fine. Yeah, I mean, that's what we use here at our little condo, too, is uh, actually just one of those. You know, we go to the car wash or people's houses that have hoses if it's a big job. But it's surprising with, like, especially if you have a bucket of suds, too, you mm-hmm. can sort of do. And you can leave that just, you know, at the bumper of your car if you need to. And, again, for that pre-ride window, you know, if you focus on keeping your bike a little clean and just not plowing through sand pit or plowing through a mud pit, it could definitely, for that solo rider, right? Exactly. Um, And then the other one I'll tease with is actually um, a pack of latex gloves. So first use, if it's raining, they're super nice to wear under your gloves for pre-rides. Your hands don't end up soaked. Um, It's awesome for that. Other awesome use in cyclocross, embrocation application. Say that five times fast. So embrocation is this lovely heating balm that people put on their legs because you can't really wear leg warmers when your legs are going to get soaked. So they put on this stuff that makes your legs tingle like crazy. But if you put it on with your hands, unfortunately, your hands are going to tingle like crazy, as is any other body part you touch. So whether you use the porta potty whether you go to adjust your glasses or eat something like a donut, um, it's not... As one does before the race. As one does before the race. It's not going to go great. So if you put on latex gloves to apply your embrocation, you're not going to have that issue. It's also good for mechanics, too. Exactly. Yeah. That was my third okay. and final point. If you have to lube your chain, if you have to make any kind of like... Because you're touching metal, right? So any, it sort of gives you separation. Exactly. And just frankly, especially when it's cold outside, once you have grease on your hands, if you're not in a venue that happens to have hot running water, which is not many of them you're going to have greasy hands for the rest of the day. So if you can just throw those gloves on and do your maintenance, do your embrocation, do your wet pre-ride, you're going to be so much happier. So those, and there's five other really cheap, really easy gear hacks that will make your cyclocross season much better over on theoutdooredit.com, and we'll put that link in the show notes. Is a pressure gauge one of them? It is. Oh, okay, good. Darn it, stop spoiling. We'll leave that for the people, but that's important if you want to corner better. So there you go. All right, guys, if you have any other questions about cyclocross, if you have any people that are going to be racing at the Trek World Cup that you want us to reach out to, all of that fun stuff, please get in touch over on theconsummateathlete.com. Uh, there's a contact form there. You can hit us up on social at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford. And if this has been helpful to you at all, if you could leave us a review and a rating and subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Uh, if you want to maybe share it on your Instagram stories or on Twitter, tag us, let us know what you liked, you know, what your favorite tip from the episode was, something you're doing, tag us in your next cyclocross race post, uh, whatever. Just let us know what you're up to. That would be amazing. So thank you all so much. And we will see you either in Madison or on the show next week. 